Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. We have two guests today. Our guests are Dr. Catherine Meese and Quint Studer. Catherine is an assistant professor in the Department of Health Services Administration at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. She also serves as the Director of Wellness Research in the UAB Medicine Office of Wellness and Director for the Center for Healthcare Management and Leadership. She earned her PhD in Health Services Administration with a specialization in strategic management from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and she joined the faculty in 2020. Now, Quint is a lifelong student and teacher of leadership. He is the author of many books, serves on numerous healthcare boards, and is a frequent speaker, workshop facilitator, and mentor to individuals and organizations. In 2021, he released The Calling, Why Healthcare is So Special. In his new book, Rewiring Excellence, Hardwired to Rewired, provides tools and techniques that help employees and physicians experience joy in their work. Recently, Quint founded Healthcare Plus Solutions Group with longtime colleague Dan Collard. HPSG specializes in helping healthcare organizations diagnose and treat their most urgent pain points to achieve and sustain results. They will be co-presenting the session, The Human Margin, Foundations of Trust, at ACHE's Austin Cluster, which will take place October 2nd and 3rd in Austin, Texas. Additionally, their book of the same title will soon be published by Health Administration Press. So let's hear from Quentin Catherine about how to foster a healthy and flourishing workforce and get a preview of their session. Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you both. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Always a thrill to be with Catherine and, of course, you, Eric. Oh, well, thank you, guys. And let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit more about the origins of your book and your session at the Austin Cluster. Uh, How did you decide to cover this important topic of workforce engagement together? So, Catherine, let's start with you. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, I started my career in oil and gas, and and during that time, I started to get to know some different people that were working in the healthcare field, and they would say things like, oh, I just got off a 30-hour shift or two back-to-back 24-hour shifts. And being in another industry, I thought, oh my gosh, how is this possible? Am I hearing you correctly? And it didn't seem sustainable then. That was in 2010. Then as I began teaching in healthcare administration, I started to see a lot of focus on the financial margin, but not the same type of focus on how do we create an environment where our humans can flourish? And at its very core, healthcare is humans working with humans to heal humans. Um, So I really wanted to dig into that more and understand it from a scholarly academic perspective. And as I started diving into this research, particularly during the pandemic, I really started to uncover some different things in our workforce that were very concerning to me. Um, Sometimes we do a great job of admiring the problem, but we stop uh, when we get to how to fix it. And so as I was seeing some of these things come out in the research, I thought, who is the person who can help us figure out how to fix this? And I immediately thought of Quint, who you know, really has made a career out of giving people tools to make things doable, to enact real change. And so together, we wanted to produce something that really isn't just diagnosing the problem, but is diagnosing the problem and also providing solutions that are actionable um, for leaders at every level of the organization. So um, I'm really excited that we got to do that together. Perfect segue into you, Quint, just how important this was for you guys to collaborate on this topic. Well, I think it was, um, first of all, I have great respect for Catherine. One of my, I'm now self-complimenting, which is another skill I have. (laughs) One of the things I'm really good at is seeking out and finding the best. So when I get engaged in a topic, I try to research 
who are the people to talk to? And Catherine's name came up over and over and over again through my work at CAMI, AUPHA. I'm a big fan of, of UAB. I've known them for years. Um, and what I really like about this, Eric, is over the years when I present solutions and tools that I, I feel will work and do work, people will say, well, Quint, what's the research to back this? And then when I go hear researchers, people say, well, that's great research, but what are solutions? Mm -hmm. So I, I thought this was just a perfect time to put a very unique hybrid book together that has both. Here's the research that shows how important building trust is, um, you know, and how important it is in organizations for people to be able to share their concerns. And I said, so when people get the research and they're going to say, oh, my gosh, we need to do that. That's the problem. Because since Catherine and I have been working, I talk to healthcare systems all the time. They say, yeah, we have real trouble with trust right now. We have real trouble with people believing what we're doing. And, you know, we want to move quickly, but we can only move as quickly as there is trust. And then, um, you know, then they don't want solutions. And what I try to do is come up with solutions. So I will say Catherine has a lot of she has a lot more solutions than I have research. So um, I've learned a lot from working with Catherine. Well, I'm excited to get into the trust topic, but before we do, let's let's go a little bit more into that research. And Catherine, anything in there, um, some of the conclusions maybe from, from that research, from the data that, that surprised you during this process? Yeah. So, you know, we're supposed to go in with sort of a blank state, a blank slate and see what we're finding, see what we're uncovering and not go in with our own assumptions. And so when I started looking at data from 2020 onward, looking at the entire healthcare workforce from administration to clinician, um, there were really some surprising things that started arising from that research that we were doing. Um, first of all, everyone on the healthcare team is at risk of high distress. Anyone who works in this industry, it is not just a clinician problem. This is not a physician problem. It's not a nursing problem. It's an everybody problem. And that includes our non-clinical folks and our um, healthcare leaders and administration. And so thinking about how we care for the entire team is critically important. Um, one of the other things that came out of that data is just how remarkably resilient our healthcare workforce is. You know, all of the challenges they were experiencing during the pandemic, they handled that with incredible grace and courage and just showed remarkable resilience. That said, they're still human people that want good work environments. They want things that humans want. They want to be able to eat at work. They want to be able to go to the bathroom and have conversations. And, you know, we really saw in our research that despite their strength, the work environment was the primary thing that was associated with their distress. It mm. wasn't the stress from COVID. It wasn't all these external factors that were affecting all of our lives. It was really durable work design issues. And so that was a big aha for me. Um, one of the other things that came out of that data is really that we were seeing some differences in some of the relationships that we have historically thought about meaning. We've always thought about, you know, people don't leave bad bosses or don't leave uh, bad organizations, they leave bad bosses. And our data really started to disentangle some different relationships there. Um, so Quentin and I have been getting curious about that together. Well, Quentin, let's, yeah, yeah, when you, excuse me, when you and I talked, um, well, I was in Houston speaking, and somebody said people don't leave their job, they leave their boss. And at one time, every head would shake. And at this time, heads didn't move. And I could see middle managers felt terrible because they know they don't want to lose people, and they know that that's going to hurt them with overtime, and they're going to have to work other people extra, be away from their families. So I got curious. Well, why do they leave? 
And if they're not leaving because of their boss, they're leaving for a whole bunch of other reasons. So that's also why I got fascinated in this. So, you know, people can love their boss and still leave. So if we want people to stay, we've got to look beyond just that quick little anecdotal statement that we say. And I also don't want middle managers to feel so bad because they don't want these people to leave. And they've done everything they could to keep them. So that really also what intrigued me about working with Catherine so much. And Quinn, you were just talking about trust earlier. And can you describe how trust is so fundamental there to, a, you know, the leader of a team or an organization? What did you both learn from that research, especially when it comes to trust in leadership? This is where I think Catherine's um, data is so valuable. And, and, you know, I've now teed up Catherine's data everywhere in the country. I mean, everywhere. And as soon as I say it, it's like, yeah. And let me go. During the pandemic, certain things happen that nobody wanted to have. But people's loyalty to their supervisor got real strong because their supervisor became their main point of contact. I see my supervisor, whether virtually or in person, all the time. In fact, even virtual supervisors were having more contact at times because they weren't going to see him or they saw him in nursing clinical areas. So I got to really like my supervisor. But then the question came, am I hearing the right stuff? Do I trust the executives? Because I'm hearing all this stuff on the pandemic, vaccination, supply chain management. So what happened during the pandemic is trust for supervisors went up, but trust for senior executives went down. And I don't think senior executives said, I don't want to be visible. I don't want to have town halls. I don't want to provide training. I want you to be confused on supply chain issues. I, uh, but they, they didn't have town halls. They didn't do oh, it's enough reward recognition as they used to. They couldn't do the leadership training. I mean, they had CEOs that were told not to come on the clinical units because of COVID. So with that concept is you had a separation. And so when I go around the country and I'm in a lot of places and I show the data that I got from Catherine, they immediately start shaking their head and saying, yeah, and if you don't have trust, and, and Catherine came up with the foundation of trust. If you don't have trust, it's sort of like in a community. If you don't have safety, you don't have a great community, a great place. Well, in healthcare, if you don't have trust, you don't have a place that people want to work or a place that people want to stay. And even if they stay, they're not going to want to move as quickly because they don't trust that you're giving them the right information. So you're not going to be as responsive or able to pivot as we need to do in healthcare today. Go ahead, Gabby. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that was one of the things that kind of made my eyeballs pop out when we were looking at the results of our data and looking at what are the top predictors of turnover intention, what are the predictors of net promoter score, whether you would recommend the organization, and even looking at distress. And when we controlled for all kinds of different factors, age, race, gender, you know, feeling that your pay is inadequate, et cetera, um, you know, controlling for burnout. One of the top predictors in each of those measures that we were really interested in was trust in senior leadership. So we measured both trust in supervisor and trust in senior leadership. And that's a similar finding that we've seen from the Veterans Affairs employee engagement data where trust in senior leadership or senior leader values is seen as one of the top five predictors of engagement. Presgany is seeing similar things in their data in terms of the role of trust. And so I think this idea that this notion of trust or relationship with your people can be fully delegated to the mid-level manager is, is going away a little bit. And, you know, unfortunately there's a, there's an organization that measures trust every year 
and distrust is the predominant emotion according to the Edelman Trust Barometer. And so we have some really strong headwinds in this area. I think in COVID, unfortunately, um, that disconnection between senior leadership and the front line for all the reasons that Quint described made it difficult to have that relationship and visibility that helps to build that trust relationship. And I think now is absolutely the time that we have to be thinking about how to get back to that. Well, you just mentioned burnout and let's talk a little bit about burnout of, you know, what have you found is really driving it? Um, and then also, of course, what can leaders do to sort of better equip their staff and their resources to help get them through some of these issues when it comes to burnout? Anthony, you're the well-being expert of experts nationally. So why don't you go first? Well, thanks, Quint. Um, you know, what we're seeing in our data and what, what has been replicated in other studies is that over time, typically the core drivers of burnout are work-related factors. Even when we control for all of the different stressors that might be happening at home and demographic factors, et cetera. And so the role of the work environment in ameliorating burnout is tremendously important. Um, you know, there are a few different ways to approach this, but some of the elements that become really critical um, that we've seen in the data are things like reducing friction in the work. You know, can we reduce the overall workload and burden by making our systems and processes as efficient as possible? Um, can we help prevent moral distress so that people feel like they're able to do work in alignment with their values? And can we look at obstacles to that and systematically eliminate them? Um, and then of course, you know, making sure that we have enough hands for the work. Unfortunately, uh, between 2021 and 2022, 54% of people who switched jobs in healthcare did not return to the same industry. And so there's more people going out than there are coming in. And so we have to really double down on keeping our people so that we can keep that workload manageable and making sure that we're getting back to those good core principles of promoting the right leaders, creating the right culture and environment is going to be absolutely critical for us to keep an intact workforce. And, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I really want there to be people to take care of me as I age. So it's, there's a selfish motive, motive here. Yeah. I think too. Um, by the way, you guys, I know it's audio, but if you saw it visually, you'd see my right arm. Even though I've heard Catherine, read Catherine, I'm always learning and always taking notes. But I want to add something else that we're finding. Because when I go to see CEOs, I ask for some metrics they're not used to maybe having. I ask metrics of how much utilization of your well-being services currently receiving. And when they find out, they go, oh, my gosh, we have off the resources, but hardly anyone's using it. So in the book is actually a whole bunch of tools for people to increase utilization of self-care and well-being. Because somebody who's resilient might not do it. And I don't like the word hero because I think Superman needed therapy desperately. He was abandoned. <laughs> he was adopted. He couldn't have intimate relationships. He had to hide some of his defects of kryptonite and that. But I also think it's it's the other metric that wakes executives up is measuring how many new people they have. So we'll go into an organization and, and I'll say, before I come, can you just find out how many new people you have? So recently I was in an organization that has 12,000 employees and they were stunned to find out 3,400 of them have less than three years experience, which means they'd never ever worked in, in that place without the pandemic. Then we say, how many new managers do you have? And they'll say, I'll say the national average we're finding is between 23 and 25% are new. Another 20% are new in their role. They're one-ups. And normally they'll say, I don't think ours are that bad. Then they'll call me back and say, ooh, ours are even worse than what we thought. 
And I think when you mention things like teamwork and seamless and all these things, experience has a lot to do with that. And we have to have empathy and patience for people because we expect in healthcare, somebody brand new, especially a manager to come in and almost fit right where the ex-manager, the past manager left. Again, you know, if you look at sports, when a new person comes in, they narrow the game plan. They reduce the scope. We don't do that in healthcare, but we need to. So I think to add to Catherine's, all her great comments we talk about in the book is we've got to have understanding of training and development and onboarding and selecting different than we have because we have more new people than we've ever had before working in healthcare. Well, as we sit here and we talk a little bit about burnout, we talk about self-care, let's switch gears and and maybe ask you guys uh, what what you like to do (laughs) to relax and unwind a little bit. And Quint, we'll start with you. Aside from sitting on the couch watching Superman, what are those things that uh, you like to do outside of it? Anyway, um, and I use that analogy because it resonates with people. He was the world's greatest first responder. And because he was afraid if he didn't do it, no one else would. And, and we need people to get self-care. So here's what I do. I love to write. And, you know, I have joy in writing. So I love to write. Writing is my therapy. I was at um, Loma Linda University Health at one of the executives' quilts. Another one does woodworking. So I don't judge what people do to relax and enjoy. Everybody is an individual and equals one. So really, I get the most joy out of um writing. And the second thing I do is I'm very involved in recovery. So I work with a lot of people that are recovering from addiction. And I find that's really beneficial because it gets me out of me and it helps replenish me. So those are my biggest replenishers, helping people in recovery, early recovery, particularly. And also, I just love to write. When I write, I lose myself. So I really enjoy writing. I'm going through a little depression that Catherine and I finished this book now. So we've got to figure out what we're going to write next. We'll come up with a new topic. Catherine, how about you? Yeah, so I have two young kids right now. So I would love to say that there are hobbies in my life, but um, not a whole lot of relaxing and whining in your Uh, world. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) there's not a lot of time in my world. So um, yeah, I'm I'm very invested in my children. It's it's my highest and best calling, and so that takes up most of my free time and energy. And uh, in terms of how that affects my well being, I'll let you know in about 30 years. But um, <laughs> really, do find so much joy in getting to be a mom, and um, we like to cook together and we like to sail together. So um, we have sort of this old beat up sailboat that we take out sometimes and and just enjoy being on the water and doing things a little bit analog, which is is quite a lot of fun. How old are the kids? Uh, they are five and seven, going okay. on 13. Yep. So you're right. About 30 years, we'll check in with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know well, if it worked out. Exactly. Well, this has been such a great discussion. Uh, and and when we have ACHE members on the podcast, we ask how the organization has impacted your own journey. Um, so we'd like to hear that. How has ACHE helped you along your career? Catherine, let's start with you and then we'll close with Quint. Yeah. You know, I've been involved in ACHE as for a long time. It was sort of my first foray into healthcare. And what it's done for me is to really help define our profession, the, the profession of healthcare leadership and health administration. I think not everyone in, involved in healthcare knows what we do. And I think ACHE has served such an important pers- purpose in defining our profession over time and also giving us the tools to continually learn, adapt, and change. Um, healthcare is not the same today as it was yesterday, and it's not going to be the same t- in 10 years. And I love that we sort of have a go-to resource to keep ourselves fresh and learning 
as the as the industry, which is so volatile, continues to change around us. When Dave, I think whenever you're a leader, and ACHE is so great for early careerists also, you want to feel safe. And I don't know about anyone else, but when I was a brand new leader, the last thing I want to do is go up and tell my boss I don't know what I'm doing, I'm a little scared. So I think with the chapters, with the work they do, like when we go to Austin, um, Catherine and I, uh, first of all, it helps people feel safe. I can share what I'm scared about. I'm scared. I don't know. But then it helps connect me and network to people that I'm comfortable talking. So Catherine and I can share with each other things that maybe I won't share right away. She might even teach me how to share. I got an email today and somebody was really saying, my boss said this, what do you recommend? He's not going to say that to the boss. So I think it creates a classroom and it's one of the biggest healthcare classrooms in the world. So that's what I would say, safety networks and learning. Very well said. Well, Quint and Catherine, they are presenting the Human Margin Foundations of Trust at ACHE's Austin Cluster, which again will take place October 2nd and 3rd in Austin, Texas. To learn more and register, you can visit ACHE.org slash Austin. Thank you both so much for joining the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice to see you again, Catherine, as always. You too, Quint. (laughs) And we thank you all for listening. We will, of course, catch you next time right here on the Healthcare Executive Podcast from ACHE. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ACHE.com dot org.